first and foremost, if you're going to start your company, think of every way that you possibly can to bootstrap it. So within a year, I literally went from like signing autographs in Japan on a tour to waiting tables. Never underestimate like if you don't have the experience, the fact that people will give you a chance. Thanks for having me on the podcast. My name is Josh Sherman. I work for ADP. It's a uh, Fortune 500 company that probably most people are familiar with as a apparel organization. I work in sales and primarily selling their human capital management software. I'm also, previously to this, was an entrepreneur and I'm based out of Orange County, California. Been here since about 2012. I thought it'd be cool to have you on so we get that perspective of someone who did have a startup and now they're in more of that corporate job. We're just talking about that you're kind of doing things backwards. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, I think that my approach from a career perspective been quite a bit backwards. So basically, I moved at 17. I had finished high school early moved out to Breckenridge, Colorado. And the reason I moved out to Breckenridge is there was every single last pro snowboarder that I really looked up to was out there. My thought process was if I can get out there and be next to those guys, I can upskill myself and see if I can really kind of cut it and make it. I spent a couple of years out there. And after doing that, I ended up, and I had some previous sponsorships, but I didn't, wasn't able to do it full time. So after a couple of years, I started to get a salary and, and a travel budget and incentives and got picked up by Solomon and Bonfire and Smith and Drop Elm and Breckenridge. And I was able to do it full time. That lasted about seven years. It was a phenomenal experience. I traveled the world. I would go to Europe, Japan, and, and Australia, and New Zealand. And we were competing in the, you know, what's now, I guess, the Olympic qualifiers. Really, my, a lot of my career was, was dedicated towards getting into the magazines and getting into video parts. Then it all pretty much abruptly ended. When it abruptly ended, what did you do? And, and was there a particular reason why it abruptly ended? Yeah, my contract was coming up. I was in a two-year contract. I actually felt like I had just had one of the best seasons of my career. I had just gotten on the cover of Transworld Magazine, put out probably my best video part to date. My team manager, the guys that control the contracts, ended up calling me and I'd known him for a long time. And he probably had about a two minute conversation with me, really no preparation. And uh, just told me that they weren't going to be renewing my contract the following month. That basically my entire, about 90% of my, my salary was going to be cut. That was really it. Didn't give me a lot of reasons. Just told me that they were going in a direction, that the marketing was going to be different. And I didn't really fit into that vision. So I just got let go. Was that crushing to you? Yeah, no, it was, it was devastating. I had envisioned that I was going to be a professional snowboarder for the next five years, that I was going to be able to... I already had... This was in November. So December, obviously, was right around the corner to start the season. And I already had a grand vision for that year and the following year. And so, no, I was devastated. My whole identity, my friends, my network, my life, everything was built around being a professional snowboarder. And everything that I had done led up to that. It was devastating. And I just dedicated really my last seven years. So, no, I, was, I didn't know really what to do next. That was one of those few moments in your life kind of watched or feel like you're watching, you know, everything crumble. And it's got to hurt because like, at least being an entrepreneur, it seems like sometimes you're in control, right? A lot more control. Yeah, you're not in control, even though you spent the last seven years, right? Snowboarding and coming to that money. And then they don't really give you too much of an explanation because you don't have the power and they do. Yeah, 100%. About six months prior, I had to getting let go. I had thought about starting a company. It was kind of a simple thought process. It was, hey, there's beanies in the marketplace. I don't think that they're that good. And I wanted to start my own company. So prior to getting cut, I was in New Zealand and I had spent some time with a friend of mine, JJ Thomas. A lot of people know JJ as the bronze medal Olympian, 2000 Olympics, you know, excellent medalist. And I had asked him if he would be interested in starting a business with me. 
I didn't know what it would be. I thought it would be beans, but I wasn't sure. And initially he had told me no. He said that he wasn't interested. When I got cut, I think that the very next day I came up with this name, Yeah Nice. I put a uh, kind of like a font, a cool font on it, and then put below it, it's a brand. And I emailed JJ and I said, how about now? And he responded back to me and said, I actually like that name, but what are you going to do? That was really the start of launching my business. Why don't you dive a little bit more into what the business was, how you made the transition from six months prior, you had started it kind of, but you had no more snowboarding. So were you just like heads on, hey, I need to go ahead and do this beanie company? It was one of those decisions in your life, like, okay, do I decide to go after new sponsorship, try to get get more contracts? Do I complete this year out if I don't get contracts? And then how long would I stay in there? And I made the decision that I was healthy. I had just had my best season. Perhaps I could get other sponsorships. I decided that that was it for me and that I was going to move 100% of my life through starting this business. So I actually uh, moved from Breckenridge to Boulder that year. By the way, I, I all the years that I was making money at snowboarding, I was terrible with my money. So that was a huge learning lesson was basically coming out of that. I really didn't have much. I had about a couple thousand dollars. And what I did is I thought of the name, yeah, nice. And then we started, I looked at, I really looked at the marketplace and started to see that beanies was, I thought, a huge hole and something that we could just create a better beanie. So I moved to Boulder and we started to find, I started to find places. You know, by the way, I had no, I had no experience in business. I, <laughs> I had never started a business before. I had really no business mentors. I didn't go to school for it. And, you know, I really didn't know what I was doing. I took my last few thousand dollars, literally put it into inventory for half beanies. I had a buddy named Ryan and he, him and I sat down and, and built a website. Within about, I'd say three months of moving to Boulder, we ended up doing a launch party. Tell us about that. You said you only had a few thousand dollars. How did you find the people to make the beanies? How was your beanie company different than the others? Yeah. In the beginning, the, the real separation was that one is I think that, yeah, and I said we had professional snowboarders that had launched the business, right? So it was this like rider owned business that I think really resonated with a lot of the uh, community. And then I think at the same time, you know, that for the, the people that cared about snowboarding, Instead of it having being a company, it was a lot more of like, a, a, I would call it a movement by a couple of professional snowboarders or right around that could tell that story of, of why this beanie, you know, could last in the conditions, why this beanie is better than others. Finding vendors in the beginning was really, really challenging. I actually would go online and try to find somebody that was making hats, beanies, and ended up finding a vendor. And I'm pretty sure that vendor would outsource it to another vendor. So in the very beginning, the finding the product was probably a pretty messy part to figure out. We had a local company that basically built the product for us. And I think they went through a couple of other vendors. And to be honest with you, the, the product came out just so-so. It wasn't, it was just okay. And what I would do is, is by the way, when I transitioned from snowboarding, I didn't go full-time for the business. I actually started to support the business and I felt that I needed a job where I could have, be flexible. I ended up waiting tables. In, in Boulder, Colorado. So within a year, I literally went from like signing autographs and on a tour to waiting tables in Boulder, Colorado at this place called the Mountain Sun. And then I would spend all my free time morning, nights, weekends trying to figure out how to do accounting, how to do sales. I would get in my car and I would drive around the local area and I would go to retail stores. I would ask for the owner and say, hey, hey, I'm Josh. I have a beanie company. Would you be interested in putting a store? I'd say I got turned down just about by everybody in the first six months. It's really insightful. So as soon as you said you were setting up the Patreon, it was just like, yeah, I'll help this guy. You know, I take a lot of value from it. You know, it's as simple as that. Yeah, I really appreciate that, man. Well, I was going to say, have you checked out our newest Patreon episode? 
yeah, it's just like, oh, well, I'm in the car. I'll just listen to it, whatever. But I'm not getting anything out of this. And then you're like, wow, I'm not that naive or anything, but it really did open your eyes. How did you handle that as well? And what did you do to start getting those beanies actually in the stores? You know, that first season, because, you know, apparel for the most part is, is seasonal, but with, with beanies, you have one season out of the year. Getting nose, you know, we really had to wait a little bit after that. Our very first store was in Breckenridge and this guy, John, was the owner of the store. And we had known each other for years, but he wouldn't take in our brand. And I asked him, I was, you know, John, why won't you take our beanies? Why won't we sell them? He just flat out told me, I don't think that you'll be around. And he's like, and by the way, people have to deliver. So he was really worried from a logistics standpoint that we wouldn't be able to deliver. And I basically told him that, hey, look, we're going to have 20 retailers. We have the funds to be able to purchase beanies and deliver to you guys. After somewhat of a long conversation, I actually ended up convincing him that we do that. And at first we ended up getting into about, and did exactly what I said, we ended up getting about 20 retail stores locally. And each of them had like, you know, one or two locations. And we did roughly, I'd say $30,000. At that point, I had worked with a friend to start my own website. I had found a local vendor to make the product. We were doing free marketing as much as we could. We were throwing parties. We were partnering with local businesses to get the brand out there. We were making stickers and sending them to other other snowboarders. And that year, JJ ended up having one of his best years of his career. And so he had our Yeah Nice sticker at X Games, at Do Tour. And we ended up getting a lot of TV time out of that. And the brand really started to take off. So do you think the main thing that just having the sticker on there? I think that it all it all helps. But when you're doing $30,000 in sales, I don't know if, if anything is really that great anyways. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm feeling you. Yeah. yeah. Any little thing, like I said. And um, transitioning from there, I mean, what happened after year one, year two, year three? Yeah, that first year, I ended up my now wife while I was in my first year. So I was waiting tables and I ended up, she actually came in and, and table 12 and I ended up being her server. We ended up, we started dating and she said to me, Josh, why don't you get a job in sales? You know, you'd be great at it. And so at the time I started looking online and I ended up, there was a job that had a four year degree requirement, three years of professional sales and trade shows. And I ended up not having any of that but I interviewed up getting a job. So what happened was, is I, and that was really my first experience in the corporate world and really having a sales job in my, my entire life. And I loved it. And I also excelled at it and basically became our number one rep in our division. And still at the same time, now in year two, had Yeah Nice. That second year, we kept sales pretty similar. We hovered around that $30,000 mark, retailers, but I really started to understand the logistics of it. And at that point in time, I started to have the accounting, I had the ships. Our biggest problem was really accounts receivable and being able to collect the money in small mom and pop shops. I would be calling people on the weekend saying, hey, dude, you owe me you know, $1,000. You're now at 90. How can we get this paid? So it, it, to be honest with you, it started to, it came to a, really a point in my life where I, was, I need to either do this full time or I'm actually really enjoying my life now. We have a great sales job. My wife is a first grade teacher. She has a great job. We were really enjoying ourselves. And I decided that there's something about Yeah Nice every single day. I just felt like it'd be a lot bigger. And that second year was really the decision to you know go full time or not. I decided I called. And by the way, JJ had been my partner the entire time. And, and I want to say how important it is to have, have a partner. I don't ever suggest going at this alone. My personal recommendation was you absolutely have a partner. I was very OCD execution, constantly thinking about what's next, constantly thinking about the strategy where JJ would essentially be able to, to, (laughs) I don't want to say talk me off a ledge by any means, but he would essentially be able to say, Hey, you know what? You know, let's just one day at a time, which that just that conversation was really great. 
So anyways, this, the second year I decided to go full time and I knew that we needed money. And this is when things really started to become real for our, our business. I decided to seek out angel investors. I started to make calls to my entire network and let them know, hey, look, we're the funding. You know anybody? We'd love to have a conversation. I'll sit down with anybody. And I ended up getting a call back from a friend named Brankford Ajaki, who was at Active Ride Shop, who knew a guy named Chris Friel, who knew a guy named Nils. And this guy, Nils, was looking to fund businesses. <laughs> so, so I get a call and I get invited out to Costa Mesa, California. At the time, I was still in, in Boulder, Colorado. I flew out there and I basically, I get out there and Scotty Nils walks to a room that we're in his offices, shows up and he says to me, you have about 15 minutes, sell me on your brand. That's it, go. I talked for the next 15 minutes. I told him our plan. I had created a, an entire presentation for him. Probably lasted 10 minutes. He told me after about 10 minutes, he told me to leave the room. He asked me and my partner to, to leave and they're going to talk and make a decision and uh, he'll give me a call. And what he means, give me a call. He, he, yeah, he literally just, you know, is going to sing, going and wait out in our parking lot and I'll, I'll call you. You just go out to their parking lot and wait a few minutes and then he'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically I was all kind of thrown off by this. It was really odd. And he kind of just took control of the situation of this is how I'm going. This is my process. So anyways, they bring us back in and he tells us that he's willing to give us a hundred thousand dollar line of credit that we would essentially need to move to near Costa Mesa, California, and the offices would be inside his warehouse. So the way his business worked is that he had his own line of outerwear and he had his own 3PL. So they were charging other organizations to do the pick, pack, and ship. And he basically offered me a spot in his warehouse. By the way, wasn't able to raise money by anybody else. This was really my only opportunity. And so I flew back, I went back to my job, and I had a lot of thinking to do. I didn't give him an answer on the spot. I talked to my wife and you know, she, she said, you need to go for this. At the time, she was my girlfriend. I made the decision, okay, I'm going to take the $150,000 line of credit. That's what I'm going to pay my salary off of. My wife beat me to it. She, I told her, I said, I'm going to move out there. I don't recommend you quitting. I'm moving a job. She ended up quitting her job before I quit mine. And I think that that was such a huge vote of confidence. I couldn't really believe it. So I quit my job and we packed our entire life up into a U-Haul and we drove across country. We ended up landing in Irvine, California. And basically from, we got in, I think on June 1st, 2012, we got in on a Thursday and that following Monday, we were all moved in and I basically went into the office and started. And when you all moved in, I mean, was rent way higher as far as living costs and everything for California to Colorado? <laughs> yeah, it was a 36% increase in cost of living from Colorado to California. I went from making about $60,000 a year personal salary to $32,000 a year when I was going to be able to pay myself. I took a huge pay cut just in salary at the time. And then I also, my cost of living went way up. And also my wife didn't have a job at all. Sounds like fun. <laughs> I had no idea how hard it was going to be. I guess being naive to all of it was probably really great. Now I have a lot more responsibility. I have a house. I have a great lifestyle now. I would really have to rethink to risk everything I've built now. That's part of the reason that it makes sense to do it when you're younger, right? Way less to worry about and everything. Can you go ahead and talk to us about, I guess, his first days moving in there? And tell us what you think about the guy saying you had to go all the way to California in order to be there. Part of me was like, I loved it. When I first talked to my wife, I said, where do you see yourself? I went on our very first date. We had talked about where do you see yourself being one day, living? Where's the dream place? We both said California. And so when the opportunity to move to California came up, it really felt like this was meant to be. We both wanted to be in California one day. We had no idea how we were going to get there. To have the opportunity to be out there, this was definitely, it felt right. 
And it seems like it makes sense from that guy's point of view too. I think I would do or request you do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Like thinking about it, it's like I was a what 25 year old kid. This person is going to give me a $150,000 line of credit and access to control that, which he's liable for. He doesn't know me. He's now spent 10 minutes with me other than telling me to wait in the parking lot. Me and my girlfriend packed up everything within two weeks, quit our jobs and moved and moved out in the U-Haul. I think that us being out in Colorado, there would have been a disconnect. But he also knew that I didn't have a lot of experience being full-time. He was an entrepreneur himself and said, I want to guide you and, and this is going to be hard for you. But he also made it very clear, if you don't hit your sales goals, I'm going to cut off the line of credit. We're not going to make this available. And he said that could happen at any month. So if you have a couple bad months in a row, you don't just lose your job, you lose your company. So then why don't we jump into what happened from there? By the way, we worked out an equity agreement as well, having line of credit. There was interest paid in the line of credit, but there was also equity agreement we were going to be brought into this. So when we moved out and started, long story short, that first year, we did close to a million dollars in sales. Compared to what? The year before? Compared to $30,000 in sales before. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to emphasize that. Yeah. So we had done about $30,000 in years in sales the year previously. You know, that's what I was doing on nights and weekends, which was completely draining and a lot of work. And I thought we were doing everything we could but I had no idea. And that first year, I know people talk about 100-hour work weeks. I think that that's pretty insane. There's no doubt. There's no substitute for hard work. And if you want to be becoming an entrepreneur, going full-time for your business, if you're not ready to basically commit 100% of every single last second that you have, it might not succeed. Because if the business is going good, you have a lot of work to do. And if the business is not going good, you need to be able to think about how you're going to make it a good business. And so that first year, we ended up landing Tilly's. And I'll never forget the meeting. We were in a conference room. I basically just told her, the, the decision maker, the same story that I just told you about how I moved out here. We're starting a business. We were professional snowboarders. Now, you know, being a different type of unique company, I think somehow related me to her son. And <laughs> based off that, she just said, I like you. I'll give you a shot. And that really changed our entire business. Tilly's had about 228 locations. Once we got into there, she gave us the opportunity to do a test. That test went really well. And all of a sudden, the business started to grow. And I don't want to overlook the likability factor. You have to be able to like go have people like you, not being misconceiving or anything like that or being fake. It's just like connecting with people is how you get that chance. I mean, if she didn't like you, then you can get the opportunity, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that being likable, it's just a the barrier to entry, right? Like if you're not likable, then nobody's going to give you a shot. You definitely need to have something, I think, different about your product, about the way that you're going to do business, you know, your model or whatever that is. And yeah, I think that being likable is absolutely just, it's, they have no reason to like you. They have no reason to give you their business. They have no reason to give you their money. And so if you want that, those purchase orders, you want them to pay you and you want them to give you their money, unless you're Nike, I, I you know... <laughs> You know, that first year was really tough. It was actually, it was hands down the hardest year of my life. The first year in Colorado, sorry, or the first year in California? The first year in California. I think that I worked seven days a week that first year. So I'd be in the office at 8 a.m. and I would leave sometime around 8 or 9 o'clock. On Sundays, I would work from home. Um, and Saturdays, I would, I would sometimes go into the office and I would be the only one there. A lot of it was because, you know, and by the way, this person that gave me the line of credit, they also had infrastructure for accounting. They had infrastructure for a warehouse. And so all of a sudden, I wasn't doing previously to that. I was the guy that was packing the orders. I was the one that was taping them up. I was the one. I was literally handling the deliveries to the store myself. So now all of a sudden, I actually had an infrastructure where the warehouse, these guys were able to pick, pack, and ship for me. I was now having people in accounting that were able to do this for me with shared services. So there were about eight or, eight or nine other brands on the shared service model. 
which was great, right? They were handling the taxes. And so I could really focus on sales and marketing. But at the same time, now having to find out, okay, who's our targeted list, being able to reach out to all those people, getting it, I then had to learn how to do production. What I did is I took all of our production through those other vendors and streamlined it directly to China. So I found a factory in China, which by the way, increased our margins exponentially. We were able to go from you know just barely making any money to it was basically about 80 points on, on 80 cents to every dollar is what we would have as a gross profit for, for the beanies. So the beanies were actually really profitable. Can you say that again, what the differences were, the pricing? When we had started, basically I was buying beanies. We would make somewhere around our gross margin, literally we would make somewhere around a dollar on every beanie. It was, it was terrible margins. If I was selling it to a retailer, let's say for eight, it was costing us around $7 to make, right? And so it was impossible to actually make money. When we took it over to China, you know, we ended up paying about a dollar for eight. Can you tell us how you're able to do that? Do you have Chinese connections or what? Yeah, <laughs> no, I I don't. And there was no Alibaba at the time either. That was just through calling people. You must be old then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was there, was there the internet? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still like, wasn't how it is now. You didn't just DM somebody. You would pick up the phone and you would call people. So I would call people and I would just ask them, hey, I see that you work at Volcom in production. Do you know any factories in China? Do you know of anyone here? And you just start to ask people. And, and some people started to say, hey, you know what? I'll, I'll give you an introduction to this factory. We ended up, you know, I, I got an introduction to a factory and I didn't have money to fly over there, but we trusted them. We formed a relationship and we were able to have a com meaningful conversations for the phone. And they really changed the nature of our business. We went down to about $1.38 on average for the beanie. And that first year doing close to a million dollars in revenue, you'd be able to make somewhere around $800,000, right? And then you'd, you'd pay all your OPEX. And that was a big, big year for us. So you wouldn't have to put a lot of money down for production. Problem is this, that first year, we started to get big orders. We went through pre-books the following year and all of a sudden our pre-books far out exceeded what our line of credit was. Keep in mind, I hadn't increased my pay. So as that time of increasing sales to a million dollars, I was still making 32,000 a year. We were putting all the money back into the company, back in production, and it still wasn't enough. I went back to the guy that had originally given us the line of credit, and I told him we needed to increase the line of credit. I had suggested somewhere close to a million dollars so that we could literally be able to pay for production. Maybe I can get an office outside of the warehouse. He didn't want to increase his risk. He didn't want to take on more liability. And at the time, I don't really blame him. Banks actually did not want to fund our POs. To me, it was crazy. So I was kind of stuck. I felt like I had just moved out here. I had spent the last year of my life dedicated to business, six, seven days every, every single week. And we made it work. We showed that we had a business and we felt like there was a lot more growth, but now we we're back at square one. Felt like we had somebody that wasn't willing to fund the business and the amount of money that we were getting from the sales could not pay for the production, you know, and all of our other costs. We had a choice to either call back some of the retailers and cancel their orders and just pay for what we could afford. Or I could go out and try to find someone else that could help me fund the business. First year in California, I guess is it like the second year of the business then really? Cause, or third year? Yeah, we were really first year full time. I really consider that year our first full year. Okay, it I got technically you. Our th technically, you could call it our third year, right? Right. But it was just kind of part time before. It was part time before. And yeah, so that was really being full time for the business uh, in 2012. And we took it to about a million dollars in sales. Things were looking on the outside really good. But it was, like I said, it was the hardest year of my life. Not only that, my, my girlfriend, now wife, she broke up with me, I want to say five or six times that year. And every single, every single weekend, she would look at me and go, I can't do this. This is impossible. You're impossible. This, you're never going to stop working like this. And then that following Monday, she'd say, I'm sorry. It kind of became a joke that she would, you know, I would say, be the weekend. I go, okay, you know, I know you're going to break up with me. And then we, I bought her a book and it said, for better or for worse. 
she really took that to heart because I wanted to show her other entrepreneurs of, of what they were going through and what their families were going through. And it's not just you, you know, it's, it's everybody around you that's impacted and kind of preparing the people around you that, Hey, look, this is, especially if you're in a committed relationship, you know, Hey, look, this is, this is going to be challenging. And I kind of overlooked that. I think the first year. So what happened in year two? Okay. So year two, I ended up being on the search again, trying to find somebody else that that could fund the business. I ended up finding a guy that owned an existing apparel brand and I actually ended up selling the business to him. Kind of really shortened up the entire process there, but he basically became interested in the business because I was the only full-time person for the company doing about a million dollars in sales. At the time, he had about 12 employees for his company and they were doing, you know, I think somewhere around a half. So he said, I don't really, he li- you know, literally told me, I don't know too much about your business. I don't know too much about how you're going to scale, but I like you. Whatever you're doing and doing to grow your business, I want you over here. And we ended up working on a deal and we ended up selling the, you know, selling the business to this guy, which ended up being a really great deal for us. After that first year, going into the second year, we sold the business to this, you know, I guess you call him an angel investor, but also entre- serial entrepreneur himself. He was going to be able to fund the business. And that was really the turning point for our business well. So in essence, I became an employee for the company our second year. So with Patreon, I heard it many times because you have that many episodes of sign up. So that's always in the back of mind. But then I checked it out a few times and I was like, do I really want to do this? So I'll push it off a little bit. And then you posted your goal achievement of 69 Patreon members. And I was like, you know what, what better time than now? Originally, I was going to go for the lower one, the $9 a month. But one, I want to have the conversation with you. But two, I always find that anytime I cheap out, I always find that I want to return it and upgrade to what I really, really wanted. So that's why I'm paying the higher one, if that makes sense. But it was just constantly pushing it off, pushing it off. And then I was just like, fuck it. I already listened to all of them. So why not? And how was that transition? And can you tell us about, did the other guy get his money back? You make a good cash exit on it? What happened? Yeah. So we had multiple partners in the business. So that guy, we basically had a 4% interest you know, on the line of credit. Not only did his line of credit get paid down 100%, also all the interest for the entire year, he basically got paid back on. Also, all the money that he was charging us because he was, he was our warehouse for the pick, pack, and ship. He made a couple hundred thousand dollars off that. And then he also made out on his equity. They came to an agreement. I kind of middleman the entire deal and negotiated for both parties. They actually ended up not liking each other. They refused to talk to each other. We had two rich guys in a room and neither of them wanted to talk to each other. One guy was saying, I don't have to sell my equity. The other guy was saying, hey, Josh, if this guy doesn't want to sell his equity, I'm not going to. And you guys don't want to sell your equity. You know, I'm not interested in this business. And for me, this was going to be a kind of a life-changing moment for ourselves. And really, I think that the money from that was something that we were all pretty interested in. To push the deal through, I ended up going back to the guy that had given us a line of credit. And I just told him, I said, hey, look, you have this, this outstanding line of credit. You have all this, you're not willing to help fund the business. You know, you're really not providing any value. And to be honest with you, we don't really need you moving forward. So if you're not willing to comply, I'm still at this, you know, this lower salary. We've proven this business model. If you're not willing to, to basically move forward, I don't know where you want to take this business because, you know, I had, I had to have a, a really challenging conversation with him that I no longer wanted to be in business with him. So I don't know where you want to take this business anymore. Those were really hard and challenging conversations. And it was really tough to run the business at the same time. It was basically full time to negotiate the sale of the business while at the same time. And very early on, and by the way, all the stuff that I have done so far, I would make recommendations that potentially would be different from what I did and, and, and a lot of my learning lessons that came out of this. So what would you have done versus what you did? 
Well, I think that I probably wouldn't have sold the business, to be honest with you. First and foremost, you know, when you're starting out, I would not lose 51% of your business. The reason for that is that, and you can see it even with Snapchat today and people that are going public, they want to have the voting power. There's two things. When you're going to have a business, having the power to make a decision is probably the most important thing that you'll never know. Because you want to, in the beginning, you want to fund your business. You want to see your dream come true, right? The most important thing to you is that you're sitting behind your desk or wherever you're, it is, being full-time for your business, being able to dedicate 100% of your time to sales and marketing and growth. A lot of that will come at a cost. So if you can bootstrap your organization and take on the risk yourself from a financial perspective, whether that means slower growth or not, I wouldn't recommend losing 51%. Can you fast forward to the end of the company and then why you're at ADP today? Yeah. By the way, when we sold the business, for the next few years, we grew the business tremendously. The guy that I ended up partnering with was really bright and very intelligent. And he really changed the nature of the business as well. We ended up merging our company with his company. And I ended up taking on the position of the VP of sales. We grew the Beanie Company to about $3 million in sales. We made Inc. 5000's you know, top 1,000 fast private-growing companies in America in 2016. I think we were number 798. We had a lot of growth. And so we had a lot of really great years. Essentially, I also took over as VP of sales for his small underwear business. And we grew that to about 75 employees. So now we had what was a business by myself doing a million dollars in revenue. And between the business that I had founded, now doing about $3 million, and then the other business, somewhere built that to about $14 million in business. We had, we had built a really nice in the two. And now we're up to about 75 employees. I had a really high salary. I had a lot of autonomy in my position. I had a sales team and I was also doing the sales myself. I was working with accounts like Zoomies, Tilly's, Foot Locker, Nordstrom. And I had actually gone out and closed all of that business for both of our companies. Those years were really, really phenomenal. But to be honest with you, a few things happened. One is I started to get extremely bored in my position. I didn't feel like I was being upskilled per se. To be honest with you, I wanted to learn a lot more. And that wasn't happening in my position anymore. And being an employee of the business, I really didn't have a lot of the says as the direction, right? And did you have any equity left at all? Yeah, I did. I had a little bit of equity left at the time, and, but it wasn't enough to really make any decision. You didn't have control again, right? So that's the main thing going back to control. Yeah, you didn't have control, right? And it's just huge, huge learning lesson. And so I, one is that I, I didn't really like you know, the direction of where everything was going from just my own personal career. Right. I didn't really see myself as a VP in the, the apparel sales uh, industry really going forward. And all of a sudden started to become very bored. At the same time, I wanted to get into the technology industry. That bug started to get into my ear. Back in 2016, I don't, I mean, I don't know if you follow apparel, but in this year, there's been more store closures in apparel than the recession, you know, in 2008. It's basically the apparel industry has been imploding because it's also at the same time, it's changing right now. And it's also a lot of opportunity in the apparel industry right now as well. If you're out there and you're listening to this and you're in apparel and you're wondering what's next, I think that when you see industries change like this, there's also huge opportunity for new entrepreneurs and you're seeing direct to consumer being huge. You're seeing when the value is added off to the consumer and being consumer centric, there's a lot of opportunity to grow your business. And I think that those opportunities in apparel are still there. The way that I had proposed to essentially change the entire, our entire business model and that CEO and the person who had purchased the company, you know, I turned that down. I really started to disconnect myself from business. I'd show up to work every day. And it was one of those things that when you wake up at nine o'clock and you get into the office at 10, you're not that excited. I didn't want to be like that anymore. I liked waking up at five in the morning, wondering how we were going to break down a wall, build a business and do everything we possibly could to grow it. And that passion was really gone. 
I knew when I woke up and felt that it was time for me to move on. And how long were you stuck in that rut before you made that realization? Probably somewhere around six months. It was, and through that time frame, you know, I had purchased a house in California. And if you come out to California, the houses here aren't cheap. <laughs> <So> <laughs> That's what I hear. Yeah. So, I mean, a million dollars doesn't get you a lot, right? It gets you something, but it's not, you know, it could be the same thing out in Jacksonville, maybe. So, <laughs> so you could buy four houses, probably what compared to what you get. Yeah. Right. So, we had just built a beautiful house. And my, me and my wife were trying to, you know, have a kid. She's actually now pregnant. And so, there's all these things going on. Thanks. Yeah. And so, there's all things going on, but the uh, so it's really a tough decision. Salary wise, I mean, were you making significantly more? Do you mind telling us, like, so we understand what the lifestyle? Yeah, so I mean, I was I was well, well into the six figures. That had to feel good coming from what thirty k a year, <laughs> two years earlier. Yeah, you know, the dream started to feel pretty real. I was I had my own corner office in our in our building. I was driving my CLS five fifty eight to work every day. That was brand new. I had just built a house. I basically was this, I felt second or third person into, into the company now. You know, down from the CEO that had purchased it. I had a lot of autonomy in my position. From that perspective, I loved it. I know that when you think of material things, you're going, "Did I make it?" But just from the outside, when you tell people. Hey, I, I started this business and you've worked really hard for those things, have those things. It definitely, it feels great. And kind of going back to not overextending myself, I had, that was one big thing that I always made sure that we never did again. Yeah. We definitely felt like we made it. It felt good. From that perspective, again, though, maybe someone from the outside is like, oh, okay. After how much time did it take to settle? And you said about six months, you realized that you weren't growing anymore. You're just getting tired of it. I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs think about that because even at the time you're like, you think, okay, I've grown this. I'm going to keep being happy. But I know personally, similar things happen to me where you just eventually over time when you're not growing anymore, you just, I used to wake up early as shit without alarm, 4.30 a.m. because I like growing my business so much just without alarm because I was so excited. And then over time, you're just like, when I was in the sales world, I'm like, I'm not really growing. What's the point? You know, what is, what am I doing? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And when you're an entrepreneur, making sure that your people are constantly growing and being upskilled and pushing them. And I wasn't, that was one of those things where the guy basically, he did not want to grow the beanie business anymore. Right. And then at the same time, I felt like going from selling to retailers was still important, but we needed to create a, I had proposed a direct to consumer business that was subscription based and that we uh, kind of, I think, evolve and be a little bit ahead of the curve. He didn't want to do that. And I felt really stuck, not able to make any, decisions to, to change the business, not being upskilled, not being excited to go to work anymore. And I just, I had to feel that. And by the way, he also had capped my, he also, you know, I was capped on salary. So being in a sales role now as VP of sales, I was capped. That was probably the last, the last point where you're like, okay, I've had enough. Yeah. So I looked at that and thought, where do I want to be in five or 10 years? And I thought to myself, do I want to do this all over again? Do I want to start another business? Every Sunday, I would sit down and think of new business ideas. And I definitely had a few, but I made the decision that that's not where I wanted to go. What's your vision then for the next five years, 10 years for you? And I appreciate you sharing your story. I think it's fantastic. There's a lot of things that we can pull from it, but what's the most important thing that you want to leave entrepreneurs with as well? The biggest thing that I guess I can leave the other entrepreneurs is that First and foremost, you're going to start your company. Think of every way that you possibly can to bootstrap it. Don't think of outside funding. You don't need to, you don't necessarily need their money. More money might not necessarily lead to more sales. A lot of what you guys are already doing is that's your success is, is you. And if you can keep 51% of the business as you are raising money, you are bringing partners in. When your business starts to become successful and you guys are bringing in millions of revenue, you know, as we were, you want to be able to make those decisions, right? 
not just how much money you'd like to take back for yourself, but just from a, a directional standpoint. So not giving up 51% and not giving up that control is really critical. The second is, is really be careful who you partner with, because if you don't partner with the right person, it's essentially, it's a marriage, you know, <laughs> like, like, dude, it's, it's a marriage and some marriages work and some marriages don't. And so before you jump in, in bed together, really vet the other person out. And See if they have STD to make sure. <laughs> See, 100%, dude. And because the last thing you want to do is have to get a penicillin shot afterwards. And in business, by the way, it's a lot worse. Make sure that you really vet the other person out. And you don't need a lot of experience. You don't need to go out and to get your MBA started. If you're lost and you don't know where to go, an MBA is great. Go and get that. And I think that you go and build a phenomenal network, VA or that. But you don't necessarily need that expertise, right? Start your business. Just start today. There's nothing really stopping you and from just getting out there. Take the nights, take the weekend. Don't say you don't have time because you know you just binge watched an entire Netflix season. <laughs> I think that's the number one way to become an entrepreneur is stay away from the TV shows because you have that much more free time. The time that people waste watching those shitty shows, <laughs> yeah. you can learn or do whatever. Yeah. And invest in yourself. Like continue learning. Like you'll never, people always say, how did you figure that out? How did you find that out? And went to YouTube. I went to YouTube <laughs> and I asked someone, it's really simple. I called someone up that I didn't know. And I said who I was and I asked them and you'd be surprised what CEO or what CFO will give you the time of day. Like you'd just be shocked. Like, dude, like you probably know that from your business, right? You've called people up and you've asked them, Hey, look, can you do this? And they say yes, or they'll, they'll say they'll help you out. I mean, let's take this interview, for example. You wouldn't have got on here because we wouldn't have known each other if I didn't reach out, right? That's yeah. all you have to do. It's not hard. It's not scary. The worst thing's going to happen. They say no. Okay. Yeah. Ouch. That didn't hurt. I didn't even know you anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the best part, too, is what's the worst? Nothing. You're still you. You still have everything. So, I mean, a lot of the things that I just suggested are common sense. I think that if I were to start a new business now, I definitely would think about a different type of model. I think that being in, when you're thinking of, of a product, it doesn't have to be groundbreaking, right? But if you can, gosh, if you can do something that's different, man, it really changes the game. It really changes the nature as you have a better story to tell. And so that's, I think that that's obviously really key. But again, going back to all this common, common sense, you know, stuff. So anyways, yeah. So I took a leap and, and moved into, moved into the corporate world. <laughs> For you personally, I know we have to wrap up, we're running a little bit over time, but where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself ever getting back in the entrepreneurial game or, or what's the plan going forward for you? To be honest, I feel like one today. So I'm at ADP now. It's a Fortune 250 company and we sell human capital management. We really help make business better. So I'll get to go out and think about this. I meet now with other CEOs, other CFOs, and I get to talk about what business problem challenges they're facing today and how we can align ourselves to make their business better move forward. It's probably one of the most exciting discussions I get to have every day. So when I get, and by the way, I, I'm cold calling people. If they're not interested or whatever that is, you know that there's some opportunity to help us. So you're not really too discouraged. It's just a matter of a timing thing. So I'm doing that today and they give you a lot of freedom, right? Like I'll get to work from home. I'll, I'll be on my iPad at a Starbucks making calls or doing drops or whatever that is. And you really get to own your time. And so I kind of feel like an entrepreneur today. The only difference is, is that, you know, I've got a $12 billion organization backing me. And at the same time, I had no previous experience, B2B technology sales. Never underestimate, like if you don't have the experience, the fact that people will give you a chance. Appreciate you doing the call here. Yeah. Favorite podcast by far. I love it. Oh yeah. Why is that? So I graduated 2017 from Michigan. I heard that shout out the other day. That was pretty cool. Basically two months after I graduated, I started listening to the podcast. Loved it. I think there were maybe 30 episodes or something out by that point. And I consider myself to be pretty entrepreneurial. Started a business last year, 
this helped a ton. And it's hard, I think, to find entrepreneurs. I was just looking for entrepreneurial meetups. And I think, wow, this is more of an awesome opportunity to talk with other entrepreneurs. The value is, I mean, it's insane. Like people make these types of entrepreneurial insight things are thousands of dollars. This is 12 per month, but one per month is like nothing. I think it's important too to bring this up even though you're working for a big company this is going to be more of the future where they're going to have more entrepreneurial positions within these bigger companies because entrepreneurs that have learned or were freelancers before and hiring them in there it's, it's a business within a business to an extent that's going to see more the entrepreneurs who don't necessarily just want to start their own company right off the bat yeah and maybe jump into that way yeah sales is a great way so yeah we appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and best way for someone to reach out to say thank you for doing the interview it's the best way yeah, they can reach out to josh.sherman at adp.com and always feel free to ask me any questions or anything like that. I'm more than happy to share some of uh, any type of information to, to, to help out. So if it's apparel related, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, Josh. Thanks, Austin. Hey there, Millionaire Interviews listener. Even though you're probably alone right now while listening to this podcast, know that at this very second, you're actually listening with thousands of other listeners all around the globe. That's right, the internet can be a crazy place and we've actually taken off in dozens of countries. So whether you're in the northern, eastern, southern, or western hemisphere, we appreciate you tuning in. And if you'd like to connect with those listeners all around the globe, or maybe you want to ask one of our guests a question about their episode, well then check out our Facebook group. Just search for Millionaire Interviews Podcast. Hasta luego, baby. Wait, 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 hold on. Before you go... I'm sure you know by now we have plenty of Patreon episodes to fill your passion bucket up with more business interviews. So check that out. Just go to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon.